Welcome to the Window, a podcast about dining in the South and beyond. I'm Robert Moss, the author of Barbecue, the History of an American Institution. And I'm Hannah Raskin, food editor at the Post and Courier. Well, this week we're doing the Savoir Comes to Town edition of the Window because uh, Savoir Magazine is in town and they brought with them a whole bunch of, we may say, digitally uh, digitally obsessed folks from, from all over the country, in fact, all over the world. Uh, they're here for the 8th Annual Savoir Blog Awards and this year decided to do the, the awards here in Charleston. Um, so we took the advantage of, of having those those folks in to, to grab a few of them and bring them down here into the window studio and talk to us a little bit about the things they're doing, their particular passions, and more than anything, how they managed to get such a big international following for some things that are you know, quite very specific. So we, we talked to a lot of folks enough to really, you know, really make up two different episodes. We're actually going to split this into two parts. Uh, this week's episode, we have Adam Sachs, the editor-in-chief of Savoir, who's here to talk about the awards themselves and the magazine and how they ended up here, here in Charleston for that. And then we're going to talk to uh, Michal Korshash from all the way from Poland, who is uh, up for the Best Photography Award and has done some really amazing uh, photography from his, uh, his uh, sort of home studio in Poland. And we're going to end up with Helen Dye, a really uh, interesting blogger who has a, a definitely obsessive and unique take on, uh, let's just say, food that might make you a little frightened. So I'd like to w- welcome Adam Sachs, the editor-in-chief of Savour. Uh, you know, thanks for joining us, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. And uh, you know, you're down with the entire Savour cast here for the uh, the 2000s. Was it 2017? I guess we're in still 2017. 2017 won't go away. Savour Blog Awards. <laughs> and so I guess we'll start there. And um, I know I think this is the eighth year it's that the, the magazine's been doing yeah. that. Um, and in a way, you know, the word blog seems sort of a little bit of an old style yeah. word, but. We like it because it, you know, there's still it's History vlogging is still alive. <laughs> I mean, people are still out there taking pictures, and writing posts, and making recipes, and making these beautiful sites. And a lot of them kind of, uh, you know, handmade sites, and and some of them have managed to get a pretty big following. Yeah, we were just talking uh, a, a little while ago to uh, Nami Shin. Uh, I think they have about 1.3 million uh, followers monthly, or, or visits monthly, which is just a huge amount of traffic. For. Yeah, there are things I think we realize that we can learn from some of the people who come up. You know, we, we put together panels and hope to uh, give uh, bloggers who, who come to the awards, uh, you know, some information. But I think we're asking them some questions. You know, how do they how do how do they create an audience? How do they, uh, you know, manage uh, to, to, to grow their sites like that? And these are not just bloggers, right? We have podcasters. And right. We have yeah. an Instagram account this Instagram year. Instagram account. We have a video series. So it's really, a, you could call it subvert digital awards, but that sounds, I don't know, it's not as romantic. Yeah, right. and, digi- and digital sounds so trendy. I like the blog. Yeah. I mean, even though, you know, it's, it sounds like we're, we're sticking with blogs. Right. Yeah. No, I love the idea that like, the awards could outlive blogs. You know, like there's other right. digital stuff. And everyone's <laughs> right. like, what was that? You know, what and every, and Sabrina so runs do. a column. Yeah. Like, Grandpa, tell yeah. us. Tell us <laughs> back in the day. a column about what a blog was. Yeah, it's like in like the Silver Sleigh Bell Award or something like what? Radio yeah. killed the video. Yeah. St- what happened? No, video killed the radio. Star. Video killed the radio. Yeah. Video killed the radio. Yeah. And then podcasts is, it came back. Podcasts. No, no, that's not. And then they actually are. It's like everyone has some kind of blog, and then they have something else. They have video. They have yes, Instagram. Right. They've got podcasting. You know, they all the blog is sort of Hyphenated. pulls it back together. Yeah. yeah. So uh, seventy-two finalists, twelve categories. We had um, yeah. There. Uh, so for those twelve categories, we had thirty thousand nominations. So. Wow. Uh, you know, you can you can uh, nominate anyone, and uh, uh, for the, of those uh, nominations, we had 180,000 or more votes. So even if you have like your mom and your 
you know, boyfriend voting for you a lot. That's about 180,000 <laughs> votes. Uh, I think to me that says that, you know, food blogging and, and, uh, and blogging about food and drink and travel is still alive, which is great. Yeah. And so in terms of like you had the nominations and then did some of so our teams sort of narrow it down the, the finalists or how does the actual? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a, I would say that we keep it secret, but I just don't remember. Okay. Uh, so we, no, we go through. So there, uh, there are uh, two awards for each category. There's the reader's choice and then the editor's choice. So reader's choice, we just you know pull the, uh, the top, uh, I think, four in each category, mm-hmm. four or five in each category. Uh, for finalists, and then so that's just based on numbers, and then editor's choice. We we look at what's popular. We poll the office and, and our contributors and talk about you know what people are reading. Um, try to see if anything slipped through the cracks that didn't maybe get nominated for for one reason or another, um, and uh, and and look at things that surprise us. It's one of the nice things about the nomination process is that you know it's bringing attention to blogs that we maybe don't have the time or just haven't haven't found on our own. Yeah, that was an amazing thing. And some of the folks we've, we've been talking to, many of them have only been doing this for a year or two, so they're yeah. fairly new out there, but they've already gotten the attention of people. And then if you go to the blogs and visit, you can see why, because they're really just really high-quality cool. yeah. uh, products. And, and very are, professional, just a yeah. year out of the gate. And people are from all over. I mean, it, uh, last year we had, we did the awards in New York last year, and we had a uh, blogger who uh, focus solely on sourdough bread from Slovenia. Like, That's amazing. That <laughs> As a very somehow, specific competitive marketplace, yeah, and yet exactly. you emerged. Find your niche, <laughs> kids. Um, and last night there, I met Yulia, who's from 2,000 kilometers east of Moscow, but she lives in Austin, Texas. And there's a Hungarian woman who lives in Kentucky who blogs about uh, gingerbread. So. <laughs> It's a it's a wonderful right, and they have these global world. followings, is what yeah. Yeah. which is really and like I, I am just congenitally like inclined to say food doesn't really bring us together, just because I, I, I just like <laughs> you're to so say good. you're just so grumpy, I'm just contrarian. Yeah. But, like, but I, I'm listening to these you're guys. You're dedicated I'm like, to separating. <laughs> My goal in this in food writing right, is to right, drive right. a wedge between oh, everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it it's done. just it's a very you know it's a very happy rosy statement. But you know you hear about these these people saying yeah. I'm you know again baking bread in Slovenia and someone. Eating it in New Zealand, it's and it's pretty cool. And a lot of this, and, and it's not just the, the recipe and the picture, because the people's stories matter. Because you're right. making connections with people who you may be sitting in Slovenia, but you're looking at someone in Kentucky right. or vice versa, and right. somehow there's a connection between. And them. Talk, yeah, they become sort of these these memoirs, these little so, sort of diary entries, yeah. and slices of lives. You know, I think you get these little slices of life that you wouldn't otherwise come across if you were just simply you know, Googling a recipe. Yeah. So so knowing that there are millions and millions of people reading these kind of <laughs> blogs, right, which is like numbers we don't really talk about in print media. I mean, millions and millions and millions, <laughs> right? I, I, has it influenced editorially anyway? Have you looked at the way blogs do things or Instagram? Think, you know, I think we take a look and we see that there are maybe uh, useful or lively ways to present stories online. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I always talk about with people who want to be writers or are trying to be writers or are writers is that writing in a voice that is your own, that sounds conversational, that sounds sort of easygoing and casual is the hardest thing in the world. And so I think there's inspiration we take from these things because they are, it's an intimate sort of diary uh, format a lot of the times. Not all of them. Some of them are very polished and, 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 you know, don't look like what we think of as blogs. They're not, you know, late night uh, personal thoughts of hired parents, <laughs> but some are, yeah. and they're and they're interesting stories. Um, so I think it's, I don't know if we take specific kind of direction, but I think it definitely, 
uh, keeps us on our toes and, and, and reminds us that there are people out there with pretty limited you know, resources that are not part of a big media organization. And they're taking beautiful pictures of food and they're cooking and testing their own recipes and they're weaving personal stories around it. Um, and there is there's something very direct and, and nice about the fact that they're just doing it themselves and, and finding an audience. Now, I know th- this is the eighth year you've done the awards, but um, you're, you, I think the first year you've not done the, the ceremony in New York. You're here in, in well, Charleston this year. We're in Charleston. That part's true. We used to do them before my time. We did them in um, we did them in Las Vegas once or twice, and then they've been in New York the last two years. So. Okay. Um, so how did you pick Charleston this time around? What, what brought well, you down here? We like the idea. I mean, one of the things that I really liked in years past was seeing the all the bloggers and the finalists mm-hmm. come together. And it, it, it's social for them. It's also exciting uh, for them to interact. And, and, and they meet people that they've only known, you know, reading them online. And then we take them to do things. And so there are obviously is no end to the amount of sort of places you could go and eat or things you could see behind the scenes in New York, but it, we like the idea of taking them somewhere that we're excited about. So I think Charleston is, uh, you know, uh, on the map as a very exciting food destination, so it seemed like fun to bring them somewhere where maybe they, you know, the Slovenian sourdough <laughs> blogger wouldn't make time in her busy life, of, you know, with having to worry about the Not sourdough starter <laughs> and what do you do with it, who watches it, um, to get to Charleston. But it was a way to sort of converge somewhere yeah. that, that we were excited to. Now, Hannah and I were talking a recent episode about food and wine moving down to, to Birmingham. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I'm, I have for selfish reasons this desire to bring everyone to the south. Any <laughs> Savoir looking to move southward? Ooh, no, any right. any truth to that rumor that I'm We're. trying to start right now? <laughs> I, can, I mean, if you entice us, you know, major tax we can get, we can, We'll talk to the, the mayor and the governor. And, yeah, they're, they're very yeah. liberal when it comes to those things. I like them. I mean, there's beautiful houses here uh, and nice places to eat. Make us an offer. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've been with uh, so far now about three years. Is Almost that, three years, is that, yeah. Is that, is about that right? three years, yeah. Um, and that's always been to me like you know I always think of it as a print magazine first and foremost because it's always been one of the nice producers, but it's also very different in tone because it's so international in scope right. and, and, and sweep. You know, we talked about how blogging has changed. How has Savour been changing under you know your time there? Are you moving more toward digital and video and all that? Are you still sticking to print? I, didn't I think we're you know we're we're trying to be uh, good in all you know in all the mm-hmm. uh, mediums or platforms we're on. So there are I think it's an interesting moment in food media and media in general. But how people consume this that I think it, it, there used to be an idea that maybe these were different audiences. But I think now you know if I'm cooking, I'm probably looking at my phone or iPad or laptop, even if I'm standing in front of a wall full of cookbooks <laughs> at home or in a stack of food magazines. Um, but for print, I mean, it, it, you start to think of it more as this thing that you want to have real stories in and you want mm-hmm. to be able to sit with and spend more time on time with. And so maybe you don't need as many recipes in the print edition because people are going to in, interact with, um, with, with your website that way when they're looking for things to cook. Um, but no, I think we try to, um, it's not changing. I think we're, I'm trying to, uh, keep it true to its original mission of sort of following food to its source of going deep in topics of being, uh, globally focused and, and geeking out about stuff that 
and being enthusiastic about stuff that not every food publication really has the space or inclination to cover. Yeah, that's what I like. I like really just diving deep into something. I know one feature I know is re- recently is how to stock an Indonesian pantry, which is literally that. I mean, go to an Asian market. Here's all the <laughs> the Indonesian ingredients yeah. you could buy and everything else. Yeah, that that's... wasn't pitched by a publicist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not, we didn't do that because it was trending. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the, the I, my sense of the severe reader, my ideal severe reader, is someone who is who cooks, who you know travels to eat, yeah. who is curious who wants to find out about food they don't necessarily know about or maybe cook outside their comfort zone a little bit and we do want to you know sometimes you go you do a deep dive and sometimes you do a, a primer like that like I, I want to start cooking you know some cuisine how do I stock my pantry how do I get ready for it and I actually like the so also doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be super exotic yes you do have ones about Thailand and Indonesia right. but you also can do uh, you know eight dishes you can only find in New Jersey yeah. or, I was gonna say um, I, I, I yeah. still remember living in Western North Carolina and there was a feature on Italian American food and this must have been like what oh four oh five I mean it, I just remember like tears <laughs> like you know, it just was Finally, so fantastic yeah, and it was just so great to see Italian American I mean, again this wasn't that long ago but at the time, it was like, yeah, the, of the people is it. I mean, Savour is kind of pioneering in that, right? Like putting the people and their food so. I mean, I mean, among the magazine space. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, in in '94 when it launched, I mean, it would come in your physical mailbox. It was this thing that arrived, and you couldn't. Uh, it was full of these sort of deep reported stories. People sending people either to exotic places or talking about the foods or traditions they grew up with, and it managed to be both kind of delicious and make you want to cook out of it, but also transport you and, and, and tell real stories and have real real writing. And so we're, try, we're trying to stay true to that. Pasta issue? Pasta issue. I'm so glad you said the words <laughs> pasta issue. Now I let's often talk. do, and they're rarely, <laughs> yes. rarely yeah. relevant. Let's but. talk for hours yeah. about the pasta issue because I would like to. Um, no, so our, the issue on stance right now is all about pasta, and I'm weirdly super uh, sort of uh, excited about it because it was – I don't know. I I do love pasta, but it's also a fun challenge to take a topic that was, that is. You think you may know everything about covered? It's the most done. It's the most familiar. I sort of wanted people to kind of roll their eyes at first, and then maybe reluctantly flip through it. I mean, the cover's beautiful. It's this luscious-looking pasta, stuffed pasta from a guy named Evan Funk. uh, Has a restaurant called Felix in uh, Venice Beach, California, but. You know, I think maybe it'll seem too mass or familiar, and then you open up, and we have these strange, wonderful, uh, kind of deep dive stories about there's a, a, a the rarest pasta in the world that is only uh, made by one woman in Sardinia, and you can only have it by trekking 22 kilometers <laughs> up a mountain overnight, and then when the sun comes up, you and all the pilgrims who are with you are given this plate <laughs> of pasta that's called the Threads of God. Um, and there's a I went to um, uh, Lake, uh, Lake Garda in the north of Italy and spent some time with a chef who is a pasta, sort of a dry pasta fanatic, and he, he jogs every day, and he two meals a day he only eats dry pasta and olive oil, <laughs> and so he's obsessed with it, and he, he tastes every, every brand of it to match it with the sauce. And um, they're just like, there are a million of these sort of, there, there's a pasta religion, the uh, pastafarians, and um, who, uh, <laughs> now there's a pastafarian. Is this a how serious a? Uh, I mean, they're taking place They're the ones yeah. with the strainer. Yeah, on their they heads. wear strainers yeah. on their head, which doesn't immediately <laughs> suggest <laughs> the seriousness. But they, but uh, yeah, but pasta is this, you know, this kind of uh, subject that is 
uh, goes in a million different directions. And I mean, in many ways, it's a de facto Italy issue because yeah. it's a lot about kind of pasta and, and the pasta diaspora. But um, talk a lot about how dry pasta isn't secondary or... Well, that's what I was, that, was going to ask about that because I think there at some point, everyone made in America made dry pasta. Yeah. And then at some point, we all decided or we heard from somebody that, oh, no, fresh you have to have fresh pasta. fresh pasta. That's the only way to yeah. go. Well, if you think but, it's a it's a, it's a a linguistic problem because the opposite of fresh is like rancid. Right. <laughs> right. And, fresh, and dry pasta isn't that. It's just a, it's a different animal altogether and it has this long and storied history and it's it, for much of Italy, it's like it's real pasta. And fresh pasta is kind of shishi, you know, yeah. bougie northern Italy <laughs> thing with, well, you know, where you're rich enough to have 12 eggs in your ravioli. And dry pasta is like a real Italian sort of product. <laughs> um, and the fact that there are, you know, just 500 plus different variations and and the way the, the way they talk about, you know, the, the, the water and how long they dry and the drying mm-hmm. source and I mean the drying style and I, it's just the, the incredible sort of weird nuance and depth and obsession they, that Italians can have about it. And I'm sure Italians will find flaws with our issue <laughs> and I invite them to yell at, yell at me online <laughs> about it. Um, but uh, I hope, hope they like it too. So that's the latest is- issue of, of several. What, what month issue is that? The uh, that's our October, November o- October, issue. November. So on, on so new not, stands. It does not have a turkey on it. No, no, <laughs> oh, no turkey. No turkey. But beautiful <laughs> wow. pasta. Wait, I, so are you skipping out Thanksgiving altogether then? Oh, this yeah. is a, we have yeah, to have a whole other the, show. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we, we, How many things <laughs> can you say about Thanksgiving <laughs> at this stage? I know. This will be my second year without a turkey on the cover. And I'm I, the first year I was really waiting to get you yeah. know, contacted by some uh, – legal authority right. to um, tell me that I yeah. was in big <laughs> trouble. But uh, yeah, no turkey this year. I just Pasta. actually filed a piece on Thanksgiving that basically just slanders turkey for about two-thirds <laughs> of the piece <laughs> and then argues that we should return to the chicken pie, which up, oh, up until like the that. early 20th century, the chicken pie was the standard part of Thanksgiving that. dinner. They yeah. had, they had turkey on one end of the table and a chicken pie on the other. And sounds great. Wouldn't you much yeah. rather yeah. And everyone's at the chicken pie? pie? Yeah, I would. Yeah, of I would. course. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see if we can... Get rid of bring turkey and bring back some chicken. And pie. divide people's right. food. That's, that's right. Exactly. We'll, we'll be splitting up. Yeah. <laughs> I think politics splits up with Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect wait, till you, perfect wait till you get the yes. turkey versus chicken pie. That's <laughs> My work is done. Thanks so much for, for dropping by. I'm glad you guys decided to uh, come down to Charleston. And we'll, we'll, we'll get on the horn with the governor and mayor and see about those uh, incentives to see if we can get you down here more, more full time. In a nice office. <laughs> that's you. right. Thanks for Thank you. Us. We want to uh, welcome uh, welcome to the window, uh, Michal Korshash, uh, which I butchered terribly. How, how would you say your, your name? Michal Korkosz. Michal Korkosz. We'll, we'll, Very Polish. Uh, we'll keep working on it. Uh, Michal is from Poland. I am from Poland, yes. Yeah. And where where in Poland are you are you from? Um, right now I live in Warsaw, mm-hmm. but I am come from um, Rzeszów. It is like... Mm, big city, but not very popular, like mm-hmm. in the Europe. It's like very close to Krakow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you're here in town, obviously, with Charleston, or here in Charleston for the Savoir Blog Awards. Yes. And I know you have a blog that's up for best food, uh, uh, best photography. Best photography. F- for that's blog. Right. And I'll try that. It's Roskoszny, is that? Roskoszny. And it means delightful in English. Okay. And those, anybody who's looking to find the blog, it's actually R O Z K O S Z N Y dot P L. And uh, there, though it is in Polish, there are lots and lots of wonderful photographs. Which thank you very much. Uh, yeah, they're they're really they're That's really <laughs> Now I, I know um, just from 
some background notes. You're, are you a pastry chef? Is that how did you get into um, the block? I used to work as a pastry chef, but it was like a quite a short time um, because right now I am studying in Warsaw mm -hmm. international relationships, and um, but I want to work in the food industry. So it was like, you know, like it's my future. I think. Mm -hmm. And will that tie into what you're studying with international relationships? I mean, yeah. yeah. So what, what, what do you, where do you see your career path going? Um, I feel like I'm conducting a job interview like, now. <laughs> you know, uh, in Poland, studying is very popular. Everybody is uh, studying studies. Uh, so also, uh, also do I. Mm, but I think it's not my uh, path. You know, I want to make uh, food, make photos, write about food. So I am one, and I am going to um, work as a I don't know food journalist, food photograph. Okay, so you're so you're getting a degree and then going yeah. to move on into great. But I am doing uh, right now this this food. I also um, make photo from some restaurants. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Oh, so you're already doing some some professional photography. Yeah, I, I, for I, I have just started mm -hmm. because like uh, I have uh, been blogging uh, since just one year, so it's like quite short time. Mm -hmm. you know. Wow. And so, what what do you like to photograph? Uh, I love uh, I love uh, make uh, photos of sweet things because you know like cake is very uh, helpful to the photographer like it's very beautiful and always uh, it's patient you know like for example uh, savory things like dinner or lunch um, supposed to be warm when you eat it. Uh, so when I make photos, I want to be perfect in my photos. Uh, I, it took a lot of time, for example, half of hour. And after that, uh, I want to eat my, for example, lunch. So <laughs> right. it's not cold and it's not bad. <laughs> right. Yeah, but so the I, cake is always good. Yeah, and, and, and so and Poland has a big pastry tra tradition, right? Yeah, uh, very the, long. And, uh, and it goes back. Is that because of France, or it has its own independent? Um, we have a lot of connection with uh, with right. uh, with France, but it's like in the uh, both sides. For example, in France, uh, they have like. Um, special dessert, uh, Baba Orum, mm -hmm. and it's uh, invited by uh, Stanisław Leszczyński, mm -hmm. is the Polish king who was uh, also in Fran uh, France. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, we are, like, mm, very close to, to each other, to, to nations, so yeah, our, our food are, like, quite similar, I, th I think. Right. The the Polish pastry everyone knows in America is a punczki. Is that a big a thing punch, in Poland or yeah, is it bigger it's, here it's like than there? It's very big. It's like okay. the uh, East dough uh, fried with the um, roast filling. It's like mm -hmm. very popular uh, during... Um, February is even the uh, fat of the of this of punchki. Mm -hmm. It's called Tuesday Czwartek, and it means uh, fat, Tuesday, uh, fat, uh, fat Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, like yeah, it's very popular in Poland. Yep. Punchki. Yep. So sort of a Polish version of the king cake, I guess. Which, exactly. Which actually is more, I guess, not actually Fat Tuesday. It's more That's prior to Lent. Prior, right? whatever, yeah. whatever <laughs> the uh, whatever the, the the twelve nights of Christmas uh, deal is. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I do notice. Yeah, a lot. Most of your photographs do do seem to be pastries and baked goods. Do you make everything yourself, yes, or is I, it more? I I, uh, I mm, blogging, so mm -hmm. I am blogging. So like everything on my blog is made by me. So I love cooking, I love baking, and also I love uh, uh, sh shooting. So mm -hmm. it's like you know. 
So I've heard, and, and, and this is, I don't know if this is as true of my audiences, of audiences in other U.S. markets, but people are wanting to cook less and less and less. Like even the Blue Apron system, like they don't, they even now where they tell you what to, they want to cook less and less and less. So the reason I bring this up is on your blog, are people following your recipes? Because I would imagine your recipes have to be somewhat complicated to make a pretty picture. Mm. I don't think so, I, but it's true that people like uh, love to cook less, mm -hmm. but also uh, they love to um, go eat good, you know. So um, on my side, like these recipes, who, which are um, less complicated, uh, they are more popular, mm -hmm. it's true. But um, I think that my, on my side uh, aren't like very difficult uh, things. Yeah. What's your most popular recipe? Um, easy pie dough uh, from the from the from from the galette with fruits, but it's super easy. I invented it because I add to my uh, pie dough like cream cheese, mm -hmm. and it's like only mixing things without like make like very uh, pie pie dough. It's very 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 easy, and. Uh, after baking, um, the pie is very flaky, very buttery, and it's just excellent. And everybody loves it. And I, I have a lot of views of this recipe on my side. Is the cream cheese instead of mm, it's animal a flour, fat, uh, cream cheese, and butter in this, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, butter and cream cheese. Butter, butter. and cream ah. cheese. Yeah. Oh. Hey, oh, sorry. Robert. I was gonna say, so how often, how, how often are you baking something and, and shooting it for the blog? How, how frequently do you try to post? Um, baking, I think once to twice a week. Mm -hmm. But also I, I do a lot of like for them, breakfast, porridges, like um, or lunch, uh, lunch things for from lunchbox, <laughs> uh, also dinner. Yep, it's, and that's things are from every day and cakes are for special occasions, mm. like weekends. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here we are in Charleston. Have you been to the South before? Have you traveled? No, it's Vegas? my first time in the United States at all. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. So what's, what's on your, are you, you're just, are you going other places? What's your itinerary? No, I have to go back to Poland to my university. Wow, yeah. just yeah. seeing Charleston. Yeah. 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 yeah, only three days, United so, States. <laughs> so what do you think? Is this what you thought it would be like? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, because when I, I am when I am thinking about the United States, I see you know New York with the Skype 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 case. Mm -hmm. That's a hard word. <laughs> <laughs> and we are uh, Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So and I see right now very like green city with the history and like a, a very um, um, a lot of monuments. So it's like very charming. Yeah. Have you, since this is food, have you eaten things that you haven't eaten in Poland? Um, yes. Uh, yesterday we had a lot of ostriches, and uh, in Poland it's not very it's not very popular. You had what? I'm sorry. Ostriches, uh, seafood. Um, oh, oy oysters. 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 Sorry, sorry. Oysters. Sorry right, 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 right. Oh, no. Oysters. Yeah, I got it. Yep, <laughs> no, 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 that was all on me. Yep. No, no, I, I tried to pronounce the. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so. I'm just sitting here yeah. quietly. Yeah, so yeah. not not. Oysters are not a, a very popular in, in no, Poland. No, like mm, I had oysters before in France. <laughs> it's like the popular there, but in Poland not. And did you have them raw or were they cooked? Raw, raw, raw and cooked. Uh, fried. But, oh, <laughs> exactly. Fried and raw. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a Charleston thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? what uh, Food-wise, what is popular in in Poland right now? What are people? What are the hot places serving? 
Mm, right now, mm-hmm. mm, right now in Poland is very popular uh, vegan food, like mm-hmm. very popular in yeah. Warsaw. Is a lot of vegan uh, restaurants, shops, etc. In Poland, are people vegan because of um, ethics or for health? Mm, I don't think so. It's like more about the healthy mm-hmm. lifestyle, about them, you know, about them. Mm, animals you know. yeah and we have a lot of good um vegan bloggers so i think it's like easy to follow mm-hmm. the food the food, the food uh, that uh, that diet with the good instruction yeah well i'm surprised to hear you only been the, the blog's only been up for about a year and yeah, already only one year nominated for an award what made you decide to to put up a blog in the first place what what's what inspired you to start mm, it? i don't really know it's like I love cooking, I love baking, I love uh, making photos, so it's like, it's like natural for me. Yeah, that's been, and I know the, the Savoy Awards are all readers' choice and, and voted, so yeah. you must have picked up a, a, a pretty good size following pretty quickly then with the uh, It's like funny because no, I had like not a big amount of my audience, like because just one year of uh, blogging, you know, it's like I'm, I was very shocked that I was nominated, <laughs> like very, very shocked at... And it's like uh, for me a huge uh, success. Only a nomination. I I don't even think about the <laughs> award. Are you taking anything home with you to Poland? Um, we got a beautiful uh, bag of um, local food for, uh, from Saver, mm-hmm. and may, or maybe I or and I will probably buy something, but I don't know what yet. <laughs> Well, thanks so much, uh, Michelle. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. We want to welcome uh, Helen Dye uh, to, to, to the, the podcast. <laughs> a- well, actually, it's really Ty Lombardi, yes. right? AKA Helen Dye, uh, as in go to Helen Dye, right? Yes. Um, if you want damn good food, you go to Helen Dye. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, Helen is up for uh, the best food obsessive blog, yes. and I think it certainly meets the category. The blog is called, so I hope I get it right, Necronomnomicon. Yes. Is, that, is yes. that correct? But to find that, fortunately, you don't have to spell all that. It's eatthedead.com. Yeah. We tried to make it easy. I, I was originally necronomnomnomicon.com. I, I bet that URL was not taken. It was the nom and com and con and right. all the rest of it. It just got too confusing. So, yes. Yeah, nomnomnomicon.com would be pretty yes. pretty, pretty bad. It, so are there different categories? There's food obsessive blog and just oh, food blog? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, I mean, I know there's 12 categories. Yeah, we but, talked about this. But. We were talking about that with, with Adam earlier. Yes. It, yeah. It's a blog awards, but blogs are... Different these days. There's, there's a lot of video. Them. There's there's pictures. Yes, the Instagram awards. Yeah, this yes. one is best food obsessive blog, which so, I, is, I guess. So I'm saying, is there bloggers who will win tonight who are not obsessed about food? I mean, they're not in that category. I think they're less I think you're just right. less obsessed about things like death and you know, very <laughs> yeah. specific, specific right. things. Gross food. Because yeah. I think um, the, the uh, I like the line I saw somewhere: putting the gore in gourmet. Yes. As, yes. Uh, uh, so this your blog's been around for about what, a year and a half now. Just a, yeah, it's a short time. A, so how yeah. did you? What made you inspire you to, to come up with uh, Necronomicon? Yeah. So my job. Prior to this, and, and continuing with this still, is, is in a lot of it is in film and television in Los Angeles. Um, and I've been working on numerous sets in different capacities. Uh, I'm a screenwriter. I've done costume design. I've flung blood at actors <laughs> on horror films. And almost every show that I've done or every feature that I've done kind of has a resigning theme of, of horror. Um, 
I've done a lot of stuff with the Asylum. They do the Sharknado series. Mm. Uh, we did Hansel versus. So did Gretel. you actually work in Sharknado? I've worked on three of them. Wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole, yeah, but we'll have to save that one for later. <laughs> yeah, so um, the horror has always been kind of, if if not certainly in the forefront of my career, in the background of my career, and, and in the process I've gotten to see a lot of the techniques that they use in movie making and, and kind of the things we do, sleight of hand, tricks, things like that, so that what you see on screen and what your brain is processing isn't actually what the actor is handling or eating or touching. And um, I also took some time and went to Otis School of Art and Design in Los Angeles, and they taught us some great tricks on, on how to mold things and how to create things. I was in the industrial design program for a while, and I took all of those experiences and all of those techniques and started looking around, and, and Halloween is my all-time favorite holiday. And in the process of, of growing up and becoming an adult, I, I've graduated from having little kid Halloween parties <laughs> to adult Halloween parties. And I was getting frustrated because you'd go online and look for recipes. And, and there are plenty of really incredible recipes out there, but they're geared for a much younger palate. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't really anything that I could really serve to an adult party and have them come away feeling like they've had a true Halloween yeah, experience. Yeah, because everything's just cookies with ghosts and boo. Yeah, and, you or know, the pudding cups like with Oreos and gummy worms. And so, yeah, so I, I just kind of started pulling my special effects background and my mold making and decided, well, if I can do special effects <laughs> on Hollywood level, why not do it on food? Wow. So, so that's how it happened. Yeah, so give us an example of a, an adult-appropriate Halloween Yes. Food. So um, you have out there right now, there are lots and lots of versions of hot dog fingers. Mm -hmm. And they're all equally good. They're all very clever and very creative. You generally take a hot dog and you score it so that it looks like it's got the little lines where your knuckles are. Mm -hmm. And then you skin the tip of it off and you boil it until it's edible. And then you can use, like, ketchup to put a little bit of an um, onion slice on it or something like that. And, I mean, those are great. Those are really fun. But I wanted to make this. <laughs> but the problem is that they don't look like <laughs> real fingers. So You're you not going to show up on a crime scene and see that and have somebody call for an evidence right. bag. And be like, oh, get the finger. It's a hot dog. It's an Oscar Mayer attack. Um, so what I decided to do was, was do a spinoff of that. So I actually molded my own hand. And I use this stuff called Smooth Silo 940. It's a food-safe silicone product. And I molded all the fingers on my left hand. And then I created this kind of meat slurry. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite word to say, meat slurry. Um, Any particular kind of meat goes into yes, the slurry? Yes, yes. I guess um, we could read the recipe. Well, what I've been using, just because it's, it's already pre-cooked, you don't have to actually expose these to heat, which is a big component mm. of the recipe is I use the deviled ham, which ah. in itself yeah, is ironic. Yes. <laughs> so you take the deviled ham, it sounds horrible, you blend it until you get this puree, and then you add in gelatin that you've pre-hydrated. You do your little sprinkle over warm water, let it bloom, and then you mix it all in, and you pour it into the molds, and you put them in the refrigerator to kind of firm up a little bit, and then you jam breadsticks in there, and you put it back into the fridge to completely firm up. And you pull your mold out, you split it open, and you get photorealistic <laughs> fingers. Wow. With little crunchy bones in the middle of them. And then you drizzle a little, like, you know, barbecue sauce on them, and you put them out, and your dad comes in and shakes his head and says, oh, my God, I'm so glad I sent you to college. <laughs> well, as you're saying, so this, I mean, this is appropriate for adults, but I'm sure a child could appreciate that as well. I, I mean, yeah, certain, certain, certain age child. children. Yeah. 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 Certain age, yes. Right. Right. I, yeah. am, I am banned. I have a niece who's two, and there are certain oh, things I'm not allowed to show her. I did notice that. Actually, I noticed the fingers when I was 
looking at the blog, cannibal quality finger food. They are cannibal quality. They are Jeffrey Dahmer approved. And are they delicious? <laughs> they actually are. Yeah. I've yeah. made them a couple of times for different people just to kind of get a whole range, you know, when you're recipe yeah. testing, you know. I mean, my parents are, are incredibly generous and will amazingly eat a lot of things with their eyes closed yeah. and, and <laughs> are always generous with their praise. But, you know, you want other people to try them, too. And, and the consensus is, OK, these are I mean, it's you know, it's high praise when somebody's eating fingers and they go, OK, these aren't bad. <laughs> One of my favorites uh, it was the brimstone bread. Yes. Which is a loaf of bread. It's jet black like like a lava rock, but sort of split open and red inside. Yeah. Which is actually both clever and really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was amazed that you could pull that off. It's it's actually just a twist on um, a product out there that's uh, called Tiger Bread. Um, a lot of my recipes are influenced by cuisine from around the world. And I was uh, in London a couple years ago and they were selling this stuff called Tiger Bread. And basically it's just normal bread with another dough that's placed on top of it. And your normal bread is a wheat bread. And the dough that you're placing on top of it is a rice flour. And when it cooks, they cook at different temperatures, different times, different things, so and different happens. Yeah, so it as the bread beneath it rises, it pushes through the crust of this rice kind of dough. And that's what creates it. And and to be totally honest, all I did was color it two different <laughs> colors. <laughs> it's black color, food coloring, red food coloring. I did learn this by looking at the blog. Black bread and black dough looks really freaky. They I mean, do. it's just it's something that, and I, it's one thing to say like, bread that's burnt or something. Mm-hmm. This is just jet black through and yeah. through. It's just a really odd Oh, thing. and, and I, it, it, it's like a ghost. It will haunt you for a few <laughs> days after you eat it. <laughs> I'd assume it tastes it, like normal bread. It tastes exactly you like, if you like it. Saying, close your eyes, you yeah. wouldn't think you're eating. Because it does look at first like it's just been totally charred yeah, in the oven. Yeah. But. You have a delicate balance with the charcoal powder. I use a lot of different things to color my breads. And, and one of the things that I've been using is charcoal powder. Um, I mean, there's a whole black food movement right now. you got your black lemonade. you got your black ice cream. And a lot of those use predominantly the activated charcoal powder. And um, you have to be careful with how much you put in there. There's a delicate balance between turning your bread black and making <laughs> it gritty. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be careful with how much you put in. You also have to be very careful for anybody who wants to use black charcoal. It is a binder. It is actually medical grade. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, you have yeah. to be. You don't want to eat a little too much of that. It's not so much that you don't want to eat. Well, it, it depends because what it does is it, it, it binds with certain things in your body, and, and a lot of hospitals use it for poison control. Oh, I see. So mm-hmm. actually. So, if you're on birth control, I wouldn't suggest eating oh, wow. a whole loaf of the black bread by itself. You can substitute other things to get the same black color. Of course, mm-hmm. there's black food coloring, which works just as well. Um, you know, if you're looking for a more natural approach, maybe perhaps you don't necessarily, you know, want to go with just like black all the time. Yep. But right. yeah, so you yeah, be careful how much you eat, but it's really fun. <laughs> And so is there year-round interest in this kind of thing? Oh, my poor parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. In fact, yeah. um, I just I'm, – I'm straddling the line between Idaho and Los Angeles as I kind of figure out what my next career move is. And um, I have a storage unit in L.A. with basically my whole apartment packed into it. And my parents I'm, – I'm staying with them right now while I'm kind of trying to figure out where I'm going to end up. Yeah. And my parents are really sweet, and they came to help me move some stuff. And we're moving in, like – November, December of last year, and my dad said, okay, you know, what boxes are we bringing? And I'm like, okay, we need these two boxes of clothes, those boxes over there, and then those ten boxes there. And he goes, the ones that say Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, no, no, they're just mislabeled. (laughs) Just bring those. Yeah, that was a lie. So you're you're from Boise originally? I am from Boise, Idaho. Correct. And and so you were interested very early on in Halloween? Very early on, yes. Always been interested in Halloween. Dark arts, if you will. At least the dark arts and crafts. The dark arts and crafts for sure. (laughs) 
Well, how um, do you have a sense? We, we're asking everyone this, like a. a your readership, you know, who are they? Where are they? Is it all over? You know, specific spots. That's the amazing thing about Halloween. So Transylvania. Yeah, lots of people in Transylvania. <laughs> Germany. I'm huge in Germany. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but the really interesting thing is that Halloween is kind of a universal holiday. I mean, it doesn't really, even though it had religious roots to start mm-hmm. with, it's become so non-denominational, and the amount of people that enjoy it across the board has been so vast and so varied. It has been really fascinating. I mean, I've got people who are hardcore metalheads who are just like, ah, you know, and then I get these really sweet housewives that are like, I just got so tired of making these little, like, sweet, cute things, and I just can't wait to take these to church groups. I'm like, go for it. You'll let me know how it goes. Yeah, you'll get his attention. You'll, yeah. you'll be talked about, for yep. sure, yeah. if you bring the finger sandwiches. So I, I don't know if there's really a specific demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know, okay, so mm, I shouldn't maybe rush into that. I do know that there are, are certain age groups that are a little more receptive. I mean, of course, around my parents' age, there's a lot of confusion. They're like, we don't understand all these skulls. We just don't get it. And then, you know, as you work your way backwards, my my popularity rises exponentially. Right. Yeah. But it truly, you have people from all over the, the all world. Over. Not, not just, it's not just the U.S. Not just phenomenon. the U.S., yeah. It's, I've gone viral a couple of times. with Like, the brimstone bread mm-hmm. was huge. That got yeah. a lot of attention. In fact, we got carried in a, um, a website called uh, thisiswhyimbroke.com. <laughs> and uh, it was really funny because I woke up one morning and I was getting all these emails from, you know, different parts of the world. And, and like I said, Germany. Yeah. I got, I, and they wrote up a few little blurbs and things like that. And it's like, you know, in German and I can only read like three words. It's like, Helen <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was interesting. So it's yeah. it's kind of all encompassing, which is nice. It's I, a good holiday. I just you know looked at the, the blog itself, but would, are you getting out on Instagram? I would yes. assume and other Facebook. What, what sort of your various uh, platforms? I really like Instagram um, because I can share behind the scene photos of people. I mean, I try to keep the blog. <laughs> putting this in air quotes, professional. (laughs) Um, I like to keep the blog fairly professional. It's pretty much geared directly towards just, you know, sharing the recipes, getting the photos out there Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But the behind the scenes stuff, the actual interaction with people, a lot of that happens on Instagram. A lot of that happens on Facebook. I really like engaging with people. I love getting feedback from people. I love hearing suggestions and ideas. Um, I do have a spot on my blog called The Wall of Shame and my minions. And the minions are basically people who have made the recipes that I've given the <laughs> recipe you know, directions out for. And, and a lot of them have done a really good job. I mean, some of these are tougher recipes, but, you know, they're they're sending me the pictures. And I do post those on the Facebook page or I mean, uh, pardon me, on the blog. But I also put them on the Facebook page and the Instagram and I like to have people interact. Yeah. So, I mean, other than church group, where are these foods going? Where, where are um, I've, I've hit a couple times on different websites. Like I said, um, Imgur. Gosh, I got a shout out to my, my fellow giraffes. <laughs> 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 I'm a huge fan of Imgur, and I've been very lucky that they've been fans of mine as well. Um, yeah, um, bloodydisgusting.com. I got lucky with them. Um, there have been a, a whole variety, Virus Vodka. I just I just started a partnership with them. They're a company out of Texas. They make an incredibly potent vi- uh, vodka uh-huh. that I love. I yeah. love using it for cooking. Um, yeah, there's just, I, I, I've been so lucky. Sourpuss Clothing has worked with me. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. There's just, so social media has been more than just my platforms. Mm-hmm. There's other people that are sharing yeah. and spreading the word. And yeah, it's, awesome. it's kind of cool. So, yeah, you can find me. Easily. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much, like Helen or, or Ty. Yeah, either way. Either Whatever way. one works. <laughs> thanks for joining us. And again, it is uh, Necronomnomnomicon, yes. which can be found at eat, eatthedead.com. Thank you, guys. Thank so, you so, so much. much.
that is all for this edition of The Winnow. We recorded today's episode in the fully digital podcasting studios at the Post and Courier building in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. If you enjoy listening to The Winnow, please help other listeners find us too. Just go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcast and like us or leave a rating. The Winnow is a production of The Post and Courier and Palmetto New Media. Our producer today was the... It's a digital native. <laughs> the digitally native. J. Emery Parker. Our theme music is by the Bluestone Ramblers. Until next time, I'm Robert Moss. And I'm Hannah Raskin. Now get out there and eat. Mm-hmm.